Good morning. Let me try it in a couple of other ways. How about uh, uh, hola or bonjour or guten morgen or shalom or konnichiwa. Or how about just good day, mate? I don't know. Any, any of those. Or how about, how about ni hao? Do you know what that is? Ni hao, that's the hello again, but that's in Mandarin, which is an important thing to know if you ever spend any time in China. And uh, Kim and I and our boys were blessed by the Lord with an opportunity to go to China a few years ago, something that Kim had wanted to do for her whole life, um, pretty much. And so God blessed us with that opportunity, and uh, we learned a few words like that. But fortunately, we had an interpreter and a tour guide. I think I have a picture of her here for you as well. And she spoke pretty good English. Her name was really hard to understand or pronounce. And so she said, you just call me Helen. And we said, okay, we'll call you Helen uh, because her name was hard to pronounce. And apparently, I guess some of our names are hard to pronounce too, at least my boys' names, because she could not for the life of her say Ethan and Garrett. She called them Peter and Carrot. And we thought that was, <laughs> that was pretty funny. So we, we still call them that sometimes just for fun. But um, <laughs> But, uh, but anyway, we really grew to enjoy and care a lot about Helen uh, during our time there in China with her. In fact, as the days went along, I found a way to gently ask her some questions about religion, about uh, what she thought. Um, I didn't, of course, know, and, but I was curious and wanted to know. And I was able to talk to her about Christianity as compared to Buddhism and atheism, which is really all she knew or understood. Um, she'd not been exposed to much of anything else growing up in Beijing. And at one time, or one point, she got comfortable enough with me uh, as we spent days and days together. She eventually got to a place of going, you know, I think it's safe. And so she started asking me some questions about Jesus, about the Bible, about our faith. And one of her questions was simply this, Scott, how is your God different? I think she meant better, but how is your God different or better than other gods. And so on that one particular day, in parti for the most part, but a couple of days overall, but really on that one day, I did my best to share the gospel with her. Now, I was praying in between every sentence, oh, dear God, help me to say this right, and uh, to help her understand what she needs to understand, because it's probably a one and only chance to share these things with her. Um, so I tried to explain to her the character of God who he is, some of the things that we're talking about during this series about the real God. Tried to talk to her about how he is creator of all. He's not just one of the gods. He is the one and only God, and that he loves her more than she can imagine, and that, he, that, uh, that there's this thing called sin. And I talked about mistakes and how we've all fallen and made mistakes, and that develops a chasm, a, a, a hole uh, a cliff between us and the Lord, and, and that there's no way to be forgiven. It's impossible without the shedding of blood, but that, praise God, God loves us so much that He sent His one and only Son to die for us, to be that sacrifice, that bridge between the gap, and to allow us an opportunity to be forgiven of sin. And, and I said, Helen, G His name is Jesus, and Jesus loves you more than you can possibly imagine. 
And, and uh, he, not only did he die for you, but he rose from the grave and he's coming back again someday to take those who have surrendered their lives to him, uh, to heaven with him. And, and, well, tell me about the Bible. So I told her about the Bible. It's like God's love letters written to us. It's, his, it's, a, it's a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. It is something he wrote to tell us all about his love for us. And Anyway, during that, over that day or two, actually, I gave it my best shot. And she listened pretty well. And I don't know where she's at today or what she thinks. Um, we tried to stay in touch as best we could, but the Chinese government uh, does a lot of things that make that very difficult. And so I can't tell you anything about her today, but I, even though I felt pretty good about what I shared, I wish I could have a do-over. I wish I could, not, because, not that what I said was wrong, but I just wish I could tell her more. I wish I could explain some things to her more based on what I have studied and how I've grown and what I've learned in terms of things that I think could have even been more effective or more helpful for her to know. Um, I wish I could have explained to her the things that are printed in your bulletin today. If you haven't taken that out yet, let me encourage you to do that. There's a list of things. We're going to move through them very quickly today as we talk about this. But I would tell this sweet lady named Helen in Beijing, China, that the reason I think my God the Creator God, the unique God, the one and only God, is better than any other God or religion or truth claim is because He is before all things. He created all things. He upholds all things by the word of His power. He, he is above all things. He actually knows all things, can do all things. He accomplishes all things. He rules above everything. He's in control of everything, he, presidents, prime ministers, nations, kings, you name it. He's actually in control not only of the visible, but the invisible. He is, here's the key word for today, he is the sovereign God, the Alpha and the Omega. He is outside of time. He is the all-knowing, infinite, self-sufficient, holy, loving, creator God of all that ever has been and all that will ever be. And yes, despite the fact that He is all of that and that we are none of that and that there's this massive gap between us and Him, He loves us so much that He would send His one and only Son to die for us. And I would say, Helen, I worship the sovereign God of the universe. His purposes cannot be thwarted. And I love Him because He first loved me. And you can do the same. He loves you as much as He loves me. He's not an American God He's not a Jewish God in the sense that He loves us all the same. You from China as much as me from America or anywhere else. And that, all these things, that is why He is greater than any other God. He is above any other thing that we would say is a God. And, and then I would read to her this, uh, this material that we printed for you in your bulletin today. And I would go through it with her slowly and look at each of these attributes of who God is how His sovereignty affects all of us. Now, I suppose all of this can be overwhelming, could have been, I suppose, to her if, we'd, uh, if I'd had that opportunity, but the sovereignty of God is a big topic. It is, um, uh, there are lots of aspects to it that are hard to take in, but as we talk about sovereignty today, I pray, and I, I really believe that God wants for all of you, for all of us to understand that it may very well be the most comforting element of who He is, of all the attributes and characteristics of God, I think the sovereignty of God may be the most comforting, even beyond what we talked about last week being His goodness, 
His sovereignty is so incredible. In the midst of a fallen world full of pain and difficulty and mystery and mistakes and betrayals and hurts, in a world of terrorism and sex trade industry and mass murder called abortion and all kinds of horrific things in our world, radical Islam. I mean, you can name a long list. In fact, in a world that is seemingly intent on living out what God warned about in Isaiah chapter 5 when He said, "'Woe to those who call evil good and good evil and put darkness for light and light for darkness.'" In a world that is full of so much of this and more, I believe the most comforting attribute of God is that He is sovereign. He is in control. He is in control even in the middle of all of this that we're talking about. Now, what does the word actually mean? Some people are like, yeah, I've heard that word, but what does sovereignty really mean? Well, sometimes the dictionary can be helpful. I looked it up in Webster's, and here's what Webster says. Sovereign means above all, superior to all, the greatest, the supreme in rank and power, holding a position of authority, a ruler, excellent, reigning, a person who possesses sovereign authority, and specific like a monarch or a ruler. To be sovereign is to be the ultimate authority, to be king of kings, lord of lords, to be someone who is completely in control and without equal. That is our God. That is who you and I are here to worship today. That is who we serve. He is the unique one, the creator, the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, all-loving, completely holy. He is infinite. He is self-sustaining. He needs no one. Before anything else existed, He was there. When everything else is gone, He will be there. He is before all. He is in charge of all. He is sovereign ruler, king, creator, all that ever, of all that ever was and all that will ever be. And these are huge statements, but that's who our God is. The sovereignty of God is that which separates Him, the God of the Bible, from any other God or truth claim or religion that is out there or philosophy. When we say God is sovereign, we declare that by virtue of His creatorship over all life and all reality, His all-knowing, all-powerful and benevolent rule, that He is in fact Lord of lords and King of kings and is in absolute control of time and eternity. You might even think about that. Jot that down even. In charge of all time and eternity. Ponder that, and then maybe even put a little asterisk beside it, because here's where the comfort, I think, comes in. You see, nothing will come into my life or yours. Nothing will come to life today that He did not allow or decree for our ultimate good. Nothing today, nothing tomorrow, nothing ever. Now, that doesn't mean that life is always easy. It doesn't mean that these things that we may go through will be easy. In a fallen world, terrible things do happen. But if God is sovereign, He either decrees it that this is His will, or it at least is something He allows for reasons and purposes that are complicated but are valid. And if I, if we will cooperate and trust Him, He will actually take the very worst that can happen in our experiences, the mate that may walk out, the cancer that can bring death, drunk drivers who cross, you know, go left of center, a wayward son, a wayward daughter, betrayal by business partners, upside-down financial experiences, 
the losses, you know, of a house or a job or political leaders that go astray, even terrorism in our world. He can take any and all of the above and turn it around upside down and use it for good. He tells us this, and this is a hard verse to wrap our mind around, but he tells us in Romans 8 that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. He, he works it out for our good. God says, I'm in control of it all. I don't necessarily always keep my people from the effects of a fallen world, again, for reasons that are legit, but I will use these things as you trust me, as you go through the pain, and as you lean into me and let me love you through them. I will ultimately use all these things that I either orchestrate or at least allow. I will actually use them all, even the difficult things, for your good. Now, we don't see that necessarily in the short term. Sometimes we do, but oftentimes we don't. But we need to learn to trust this. That's what sovereignty is all about. You know, one of the biggest objections to the notion of God being sovereign is this kind of question. If God is sovereign, then why is there so much evil or you know, pain and suffering or sadness or things like that? For example, that ugly word cancer. God, why does that even have to be part of our vocabulary? I mean, I don't know if if you are like me, but probably you are. You've probably been touched by that word as well, either directly or indirectly. You know, I lost my mother at a young age. My mother lost shortly thereafter, and um, you know, and many other close friends and relatives as well to that word. But let me tell you a story that has nothing to do with cancer, a story that some might also find as a reason to question God's sovereignty. It's a story that might sound similar to some story that you have lived or are even living right now. It was from a, a while back, back in 1996. That doesn't seem like that long ago, but actually it is, isn't it? 22 years ago. Back in the summer of 1996, I was a youth pastor at Sunnyside Christian Church down in Colorado Springs, and as such, I was asked to be in charge of a camp for middle school students, about 100 students up at Camp Como, a camp that we, as a number of, a bunch of other churches, co-own. And um, near Breckenridge, and it was in July, and it was a wonderful opportunity. And I was in charge, but I had the help of a bunch of other youth pastors and youth sponsors, volunteers who came and helped. But beyond all of, the, all of that group of people, I also had a special group of four college students called a camp team um, from Manhattan Christian College. Uh, colleges like that would often send out camp teams of young people to represent the school and also to help the youth pastors in charge of a camp or whatever, something like that. So I was familiar, I was familiar with such things, had worked with many camp teams, but this particular camp team was special. They were from Manhattan Christian College, which is where I uh, graduated um, from, from Bible College, and in fact, it's where our own uh, Brandon Pitt plans to go this fall and prepare for ministry as well. And uh, anyway, I knew these kids a little bit from times past, but I got to know them much better during this week of camp. They were just fantastic. In fact, Kim and I, who was there with me, throughout the week, told each other as we kind of would watch these young people, like, man, this is a special camp team. I mean, they are just, they're just above and beyond where typically other college students, even Christian college students are. I mean, they, their love for Jesus is just off the chart. Their love for one another is, is just different. It's better than what you normally see in young people. Their love and devotion to the children, the, the middle schoolers that we were there to lead, Middle schoolers can sometimes be difficult, and yet this team just loved and 
had compassion and patience, and it was an incredible week. And Kim and I just marveled at how they were, like a lot of other camp teams, really special, and we were thankful for them, but they were different. They were above any other team we'd ever worked with. We watched God change lives over and over and over in these young people. In fact, including one young man named Dustin Fisher, who has now been the youth pastor at Pikes Peak Christian Church down in Colorado Springs for well over a decade and touched thousands of uh, young people's lives. It's a large church. He's done all kinds of great things in ministry. And Dustin and I talked about it this week, and he said, you know, that camp team, uh, Yvonne Kafka in particular, who was his small group leader for the week, and um, he goes, she and that team and the events of that week changed my life to the point that that really, when I think back, why did I go into ministry? That week, that week with that camp team, that was the key week. I said, you mean it wasn't my leadership skills as the camp dean? He goes, no, it was that camp team. I said, okay, that's cool. But anyway, his life was changed, and he's just one of many because of this team in that week. I greatly enjoyed some deep conversations with Yvonne, Matt, Scott, and Maya, these are their names. Um, they were fantastic. I think, yeah, there's a picture of them. And, and I remember marveling at some deep conversations, questions, uh, how they honored the Lord. Uh, musically, they were talented. Athletically, the leadership skills, um, um, communication skills, all these things. They were just fantastic. They had this amazing week, and it was such a blessing. Well, seven days later, uh, near Tucumcari, New Mexico, while they were driving from a camp to another camp just before finishing their summer and going back to Manhattan Christian College to further their education, um, Matt lost control of the van. He fell asleep at the wheel. They crashed, and Maya had 13 surgeries um, but survived. But Matt and Scott and Yvonne were all killed. And um, I still remember that moment. I got that phone call, and... Uh, I remember dropping to my knees in tears and just crying, oh, dear God, oh, wow, why? Oh, how can it be? And uh, it's just, you know, that kind of thing just doesn't seem fair, doesn't seem right. How can this be? Lord, why would you allow, the, if you are sovereign and loving, which I believe, then why do you allow stuff like this? You ever been there? I talked with the parents of two of those young people this week. Um, well, that was uh, 22 years ago, and yet it's still raw and emotional. And uh, for people like me that loved them and had enjoyed them, it's, that's one thing. But for a mom and a dad, you know, I've just, as a pastor, I've never seen people go through harder things, I don't think, ever, ex other than losing a child. I think that's at the top of the list. And... Um, Anyway, as I talked with two of the parents, two sets of parents this week, um, we talked about the whole situation, and they said that this question of why, Lord, do you allow such things in, the, in life when you are sovereign? Why, Lord? That, that was the key question that they struggled with. I mean, really struggled with, had to work through, and still in moments today, still wrestle with, still struggle with. For those of you who are old enough to remember, there's a guy, Billy Joel, you remember that name? He once sang a song, Only the Good Die Young. Now, I don't think he's all that spiritually wise, and I don't think he's even right, but sometimes it kind of seems like that, doesn't it? Sometimes. 
But even when it seems to play out that only the good or that the good do die young, even then, I think there's a question we all need to really wrestle with and think about. And that is this, that if we believe that God is sovereign, and if we believe in heaven and believe that when Jesus said in John 14 that I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when it's ready, I will come and take you so that you may be there with me also. If we believe this, and that heaven is, you know, no eye can see, no ear is, no, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for us. If we believe that heaven is off the chart in that respect, then I think the question becomes, then why do we, why in the world do we tend to be so sad when someone passes away at a younger age than we think they should so as to graduate early and go to be with the Lord earlier than the rest of us. Now, I don't think any of us should have a death wish or try to hasten God's plan so that we can get there earlier than He would direct, but we also, I, I think we should hesitate or stop and ask the Lord to help us not maybe be quite so full of grief. I mean, there's an element of that that is, of course, appropriate because we love and miss them, but maybe not to the degree that we are because they graduated early. They got to be with the Lord. It, it is not like more time on earth would be better than more time in heaven. That is not true. Yvonne's dad, his name is Tony, told me just the other day as we were talking about it that Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 was a passage that he was familiar with and, and, and appreciated. Um, if you don't know it, it's uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge Him. He will make your path straight. And um, Tony said, oh, yeah, I knew and appreciated that verse, or a couple of verses. But, um, but after Yvonne's accident, he goes, I struggled for a while. With, Do I believe that? Do I really believe that? And he, he had to work hard to wrestle with that, he and his wife and family. But he said, you know, Scott, over the years, that verse has gone from something that I had to wrestle with to something that I, it's my favorite verse in the Bible. It's my theme verse. It is my favorite passage of Scripture because without it, I don't think I could get through, could have gotten through what we've gone through because I have learned to trust in the Lord with all my heart and to literally not lean on my own understanding and to trust Him and His sovereignty. And I said, you know, I'm talking about sovereignty this Sunday. And we talked about that. And he said, you know, it's God's sovereignty that has been the key to my and my wife and our family's ability to deal with our grief. You know, God teaches over and over through His Holy Word that He is in control, that He is sovereign. There are so many passages. Let me just share with you a couple. Again, Romans 8, 28, we already read it. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. But He also tells us in Proverbs 19, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Psalms 115 our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Proverbs 16, in His heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Proverbs 29.10, the Lord is enthroned as King forever. Forever, before time, during this time, and beyond all future time. He basically says, I'm in control of it all. And I don't always keep my people from the effects of a fallen world, but I will use these things as you learn to trust me and go through the pain and lean in and let me love you through them. I will ultimately even use them for your good 
in ways that you may not fully understand this side of heaven, but if you will just trust me, you will see. You will see. In your pain and in your difficulty and in your betrayal, it may be really hard to believe that, but whoever promised that life is supposed to be easy or that trusting God is going to be easy. You see, God, though, is clear on all this, and if we will walk further and further down this road of life with Him, which, by the way, that road gets shorter and shorter, doesn't it? It, it seems so brief the older we get, although when you think about life, life is so much more than just this short little window of time on this earth. But as we walk down this life road with Him, we'll see more and more through experiences and through the maturity that He allows us to develop that if we will just open our eyes and trust Him, He is trustworthy. He is sovereign. He is in charge. He is in control. And He is perfect in every way, including how He handles difficult situations like this that we don't understand. So, how do we learn to trust? Well, there are at least a half a dozen ways that God reveals His sovereignty to us. I would encourage you to go through the Scriptures that uh, we already referenced that are in your bulletin. I don't have time to do that today, but read through them. Look those passages up and slowly meditate and let God help you contemplate and consider such things and let them soak into who you are. And I think your view of God will get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You'll see things like Colossians chapter 1 when the Word tells us, "...for by Him all things were created." things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. And as you digest and meditate on stuff like this, you will get a larger and larger picture of our God. And your faith being rooted in the character of God and in His promises will grow and grow as you learn to trust Him. The more you know about God, you see, the more you'll see that it is safe to trust Him and walk with Him, and the more you'll simply want to, and you'll want to love Him because you'll see and understand more and more how much He loves you, even in the middle of difficulty. Now, if you have a small God, a small picture of God, you will always have big, overwhelming problems that rock you and threaten to destroy you. But if you choose to let God help you develop a big picture of God, then you, well, for one, you'll still have the problems, generally speaking, and the pain, but they will grow smaller and smaller as He gets larger and larger. You'll gain the perspective of a sovereign God who made you for Himself, but also made you for eternity, not just for this little tiny window of time on this earth, 80, 90, whatever years, you know, that we think is everything but it's just a tiny little blip on the screen. God reveals Himself through His titles, through His fulfilled prophecies and other ways, but especially through the supernatural birth of His Son. And I don't just mean because He was born of a virgin. Think about this. Let me, let me go through this quickly and just try to be a skeptic, okay? Just try to be a skeptic with me for just a minute and think about these, th these thoughts. Okay, first of all, there have been lots of people, lots of leaders throughout history, lots of truth claims, but here comes this rabbi, a young rabbi who starts his ministry at age 30 and only has a, a reign of three or so, three and a half years in terms of his active ministry. And get this, he only travels from his home maybe 30 to 50 miles. I mean, that's it. 30 to 50 miles is it. That's his whole radius of travel. 
He doesn't belong to the established religious environment. He's more of a revolutionary. There is no technology at this time on earth. 80% of the, of the world is actually illiterate. There's virtually nothing in writing. How does the world, how in the world does this one rabbi without technology, without satellites and printing presses and the internet and all that, how does, how does one person turn the whole world upside down in a moment like that? How could it happen? Well, let me tell you how it happens. It's based on what we know to be true in the, in the Word of God. In Galatians 4, 4, the Bible tells us, in the fullness of time, God sent His Son. In the fullness of time. We get from that word, the original Greek word, we get the word pregnant. So, in a sense, it's it, when the world was pregnant, at just the perfect time, God sent forth His Son is the point. That's, where, that's what that means. In God's sovereign plan to fulfill His purposes, there was a point in time when all things came together just in the right way that during a narrow little window of time, a rabbi that came to live on this earth for three or to do a ministry for three years was able to do something that transformed the entire world for the rest of the history of planet earth. Now, what contributed? Well, several things. Number one, corruption in Rome was at an all-time high. Rome was in charge completely in charge. Number two, the philosophies and religion of the Greeks were at an all-time low. And on top of that, for the first time ever in world history, there was one language, one language, a trade language called Koine Greek. It's what the New Testament is written in originally. So, no matter where you were or where you came from, because Rome was in charge, the conquering Rome there was one language that virtually everybody understood. It would be kind of like the internet is today, connecting all people to some degree. So now there is this one language to communicate a message to everyone in the world. And also in the ancient world, travel had become very dangerous. You could get killed or beat up or you know, robbed. And, and yet, because Rome was in charge at this moment, there was peace. It was called Pax Romana. There were Roman outposts or soldiers almost everywhere you went. And so, safety became, became the norm. And, and maybe you've heard of the line, you know, all roads lead to Rome. Well, you know what? In many respects, that was really true. There was a transportation, per, per, transportation system to all corners of the world. Plus, on top of all this, synagogues were all over Rome at this point. God's people had been persecuted previously, and so they had spread out and built synagogues all over the place. So now there are places from which messages and, and, and truth could be taught and preached. So consider all of these things in this little window of time, and that's when God sent His one and only Son, Jesus, to our world because the world was pregnant with opportunity. It was perfect timing in this respect. Jesus' disciples now had roads and a common language and 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 safety, and peace, and preaching points with these synagogues, platforms from which to preach and to tell people the Messiah that we have been waiting for for hundreds of years is here, and His name is Jesus. He is here. He is here, and He is who we need to worship and honor and follow. And the world was hungry and in need of all this because, again, they were frustrated with the things of Rome and only a sovereign God could pull all of this off and pull all that together in the fullness of time, sending Jesus at the perfect time. So awesome. I love stuff like this. You know, the God who told Moses to take off his sandals as he stood before the burning bush 
because he was standing on holy ground, he told Moses, in the presence of the great I Am, the one who had existed before time and will exist after what we know of to be time, sent his only son, his blameless and perfect son. And as God led Paul to say in Romans, that at the perfect time, at the perfect, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, in fact, while we were godless, that is when he sent his son to die for us. It's an incredible truth, an incredible thought. Jesus was and is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Nothing even exists except what he has ordained and spoke into existence. And yet, and yet, despite him being all of that and us being none of that, he is meek, he is gentle, he is approachable, he is loving. In fact, so loving and gentle and approachable that little children flock to him and wanted to sit on his lap. He's that big and yet he's that gentle. He treats us with the same gentleness and kindness that he treated the woman caught in adultery, thrown at his feet. He treats us with the same compassion and love even in a practical form, as he did the huge hungry crowd that he fed with the five loaves and the two fish. What he does for people like that, he can do for you and I today. As he spoke the words, peace, be still, and calm the raging storm and it, that, that had threatened all the people that were in the boat that day on the Sea of Galilee, he can calm, and he does calm our storms today. As he stood beside the seashore with Peter after Peter denied him three times in his darkest hour, and he asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Symbolizing three times, giving Peter the opportunity to say yes three times, symbolizing forgiveness for the three times that Peter had just denied him. He, in the same way, stands before you, arms wide open, nail scars and all, saying, I forgive you as well. As long as you're breathing, you have opportunity to be forgiven because God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. There is no boundary, there's no limit, there's no quota. This is our amazing, sovereign God. And this is our God, who not only did all of that then, but is coming back again someday. At the perfect time, at the perfect time, He will split the sky. The trumpet will sound, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Oh, what an incredible moment that will be. You know, that, that will be a humbling and trembling moment for all of us as we hit the floor on our knees, and yet for those who have surrendered their lives to the Lord, it will be the best moment of our life. Oh, I look forward to that. I often pray, oh, come Jesus, Lord, come. As we close, as the band comes out in just a moment, I want to read for you something that, uh, well, one month before the fatal accident that I told you about that happened back in 1996, Yvonne Kafka, the young lady that I mentioned. She was 19 at the time. Obviously, she didn't know she was about to die. She hand-wrote a note in her personal Bible, and I so enjoyed talking about this with her dad this week. And, um, and as it inspired him and me and others over the years, I pray it inspires you as, I, as we close today. But more than inspire you, I pray it might be something that leads you to a place of a deeper prayer a deeper prayer life, a deeper conversation with the Lord. Maybe right here, right now, but also maybe later as you contemplate. I put it in your bulletin so you can take it home and reread it, but let me just read it for you. Will you stand with me as we prepare to close? 
Yvonne, 19 years old, wrote this in her Bible just a couple of weeks before she died. She thought she still had 70 years or whatever. But here's what she wrote. Father, I'm totally and completely yours. You have paid the ultimate price for me. I lay my life at your feet. I want to know you inside and out. Since my life is yours, I will go where you send me. Your plans are my plans. Doubt and worry have no power in my life. Your peace and assurance surround me. Each day I will start with you, dedicating myself for your work. I will live with integrity, not bending my morals and values to fit society. I will not live by my own strength, messing, up, messing everything up, but by yours. I won't love with my selfish love, but with your unconditional love. In the hard times, I will hold tight to you and listen to the Holy Spirit's lesson. In the good times, I will listen to the Holy Spirit's lesson. In all things, I will praise you and proclaim your goodness. I will no longer live to please myself, but you. I will meditate on your word and hide it in my heart. Prayer will surround me or my every thought and action. I know that I will never be able to stand by this covenant except through your power and grace. Signed, Yvonne, put in her Bible about three weeks before she died. Lord God, I pray that as we contemplate such words from a young teenager, that you would inspire each of us, motivate each of us, call each of us in such a way that we would want desperately to respond and give you everything. Trust in your sovereignty, even though we don't understand. Lord, remind us as Yvonne's dad, Tony, and I talked this week, that we don't have to fully understand you to fully trust you. Oh, Lord, help us to embrace that truth and to fully trust you without any hesitation because of your goodness, your grace, your love, your sovereignty. Thank you for being the great I am, the perfect God. And as we worship you today, Lord, may you be honored and glorified in all that we do, say, and think. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody says...